ask me why I'm always teasing you. You hate to have me call you pretty baby. Whether you like it or not, there's going to be a big change around here, and it starts tonight. Hello and welcome to the Queens and Rebels Women's History Podcast. My name is Marta and today's episode will be a little bit more spooky than usual just because um, it's almost Halloween. I don't know why I was trying to break out in a song (laughs) when I was saying that, but I am usually very excited for Halloween. I mean, I still am. It's a little different this year. I've uh, spoken in the previous episode about my plans to do socially distance Halloween, but I don't think we're going to do that anymore just because me and my husband discussed that. We saw what other people were saying in uh, our neighborhood uh, Facebook group and decided it's probably best to just not do anything at all, which means I am stuck with a lot of candy. That is the scariest part of Halloween for me, is knowing that I don't have the willpower to say no and to leave that candy be. Um, Also, today's topic is not spooky because it deals with the paranormal, but because of the sheer stupidity of the text. I skimmed through the text. And it's just, it was like one of the worst things I had to read, okay? (laughs) Um, So yeah, without uh, further introduction, I will be talking about the infamous uh, Malleus Maleficarum, uh, which is commonly translated as the Hammer of the Witches. And it is a theological text on Christian demonology that had a strong cultural influence on the persecution and idea of witchcraft. Um, So I will revisit the topic of witchcraft trials again in a much deeper dive. I do want to talk more about the history of uh, the mass hysteria that eventually took over. I mean, it was not an overnight uh, phenomenon. It was obviously a gradual buildup of uh, various uh, beliefs, that caused this uh, paranoia to break out. But uh, it's just a lot to talk about. I will most likely have to break it down into uh, two or three parts. But today I want to focus uh, mainly on just one of the many elements uh, that made the witch trials happen and the infamous text that made the contribution to the trials. It certainly did not cause them. It was not the root cause, but it was uh, just a part of history of that time. The text itself is not written by a woman, uh, but um, it obviously affected women greatly. It singled out mostly women and usually widows or women that were on the margins of society were commonly targeted by uh, Malleus Maleficarum. It was built on a very obvious hatred of women. And in Europe, in total, there was about... 80,000 people executed for witchcraft between the 1500 and 1660. A staggering 80% of the executed were women. 
Certainly, the witch uh, trials did not exclusively focus on women, but they singled them out uh, predominantly and uh, partially was based on a text like Malleus Maleficarum uh, that was extremely prejudiced against women and its nature. And uh, the book itself argued that women were particularly susceptible to witchcraft because of their inability to control their passions. And this was already a viewpoint uh, that uh, was common. Therefore, it was very easily accepted. So, uh, Malleus Maleficarum uh, goes into an explanation and question a six titled concerning witches who copulate with devils why is it that women are chiefly addicted to evil superstitions the text goes on to say i quote a greater number witches is found in a fragile feminine sex than among men it is indeed a fact that it were idle to contradict since it is accredited by actual experience unquote um, to sum it up uh, women uh, are said to be the weaker sex uh, women are said to know no moderation either in goodness or wise so when they're good they're really good but when they're evil they are much worse than men they are more credulous uh, they are more impressionable the text also mentions um, that they have slippery tongues of course that stereotype that women are gossipy and um, therefore they're unable to conceal their evil and you know what? It's funny because that uh, stereotype to this day uh, exists that women are gossipy. But honestly, I know so many dudes that just love to gossip. Like they will not admit it. But I think all human beings enjoy <laughs> gossip in general. So the text goes on to say, and I quote, uh, that women are feebler both in mind and body. It is not surprising that they should come more under the spell of witchcraft, unquote. And of course, Eve is brought up. I mean, she never fails to turn up and, <laughs> and hunt us. Again, I quote, and should be noted that, they, that there was a de defect in the formation of the first women since she was formed from a bent rib, that is a rib of the breast, which is bent as it were in a contrary direction to a man. And since through this defect, she is an imperfect animal. She always deceives, unquote. If you want to listen a bit more about how Eve was used as a tool to vilify women, um, check out my episode on the legend of Eve. But as you can see, the book uh, starts out uh, very uh, strong in terms of pointing out women as a defective. It's extremely sexist. Uh, I don't recommend uh, you read it uh, unless you need to because it's extremely frustrating to read. A book goes on on length to talk about her women are more lustful. Very central theme to Malice Maleficarum is um, the sexuality and lust uh, of women, this kind of unchecked and uncontrolled lust that cannot be reined in and that is harmful. I mean, um, it's just very horny monks living out uh, their fantasies, you know. <laughs> and I quote, To conclude, all witchcraft comes from carnal lust. 
which is in women, uh, insatiable. Wherefore, for the sake of fulfilling their lust, they will consort even with the devils, unquote. The belief behind this book was, um, again, so harmful to women. As you can see, it's uh, very sinister in its tone. Uh, when it comes to talking about females, it has done a lot of damage, obviously. The book is said to be written by Heinrich uh, Kramer and Jacob Spranger. It was written in 1486 and first published in Germany in 1487. Some scholars argue that Jacob did not contribute to the book, that his name was just used by Kramer. And there is evidence to support that, but we're not going to go too much into that argument. If you're curious, of course, you can always just Google it yourself. The book um, is a manual on uh, how to identify, interrogate, and punish witches. It has a long-lasting legacy. Both Kramer and Jacob were Dominican monks. Again, both were misogynists. They wholeheartedly believed in the threat of magic. Um, you have to imagine that they did not live in a secular world of today. Um, the witchcraft was very much present uh, and real in their world. Uh, of course, it seems ridiculous to us now, but um, it, it was a completely different worldview at the time. Not that I'm making an excuse for the hot piece of garbage that they've written. The text was written in the wake of Kramer's uh, failed witch trial. Um, he was accused uh, by a bishop uh, of making too many assumptions and was ordered uh, to leave his diocese. Uh, so the witch trial that he has failed was directed uh, mainly at the women of uh, higher social standing um, that uh, had some beef with him. So he decided to go ahead and prosecute her as a witch because, uh, of course, she must be evil because she attacked him. And uh, he just did not have enough ground to stand on when it came to prosecuting this uh, woman. Of course, it also helped uh, that she was of a higher social standing, but he did, I imagine, feel extremely humiliated after this incident. Instead of um, accepting his defeat, or instead of uh, examining the flaws in his witch-prosecuting narrative, he got to work fear-mongering even more and amplifying the perceived threat of witchcraft in the popular imagination and, and sat down to writing Malleus Maleficarum. At this point, I'm just going to refer to the book as Malleus just because it gets a bit repetitive to continually say Malleus Maleficarum. Um, the whole time, but uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, also, Malleus uh, did have contemporary critics. The top theologians of the time often criticized it as unethical and uh, inconsistent in its theories, but that didn't matter because it gained popularity in the minds of the masses. It would be referred uh, by Catholic and Protestant judges and magistrates uh, for three centuries to come and did make its way to North America eventually. And of course, the famous Salem Witch Trials happened, and I'm sure the book had a lot of ideas to contribute to the trials. Uh, the text itself was not revolutionary. Um, there was nothing particularly 
new to the text. As I said, these attitudes already existed and this paranoia of witchcraft was already building up in communities. And what the text uh, did was uh, just gathered uh, all these beliefs into a single book. And um, of course, what helped uh, to popularize the text was that it was extremely salacious. And it's funny because uh, sometimes uh, glancing back throughout history, uh, people can seem so alien and strange in their beliefs and in their attitudes. And at the same time, certain aspects of uh, what makes us humans uh, just consistently stay the same. To this day, people are drawn uh, to a spicy, juicy piece of gossip, and they would rather accept that uh, than uh, reason or fact. I mean, just look at the current pandemic and at uh, certain attitudes that people hold, you know, like how many people don't actually listen to scientists and would much rather believe ridiculous gossip. But, I mean, things don't change. That's just how we are, unfortunately. Uh, Beliefs um, in magic itself was uh, deeply rooted in communities. It persisted through uh, millennia, really. Magic has always fascinated people and was a part of our life and to a certain extent it still is Uh, of course there is a number of people that are a part of witchcraft the revival um, if you will and they do practice certain rituals that involve a magical aspect and i think we are always going to be drawn to an unknown aspect um, of life. And magic is certainly a part of it. My point is, again, um, this wasn't revolutionary. Magic was uh, already deeply rooted in the people's imagination. And in Christian beliefs in particular, magic uh, was seen as a, um, coming from a demonic source. And uh, that was also common. That's not something that Malleus invented. The book um, took already existing beliefs and kind of sensationalized them by adding these stories of diabolical sects, uh, pacts with Satan, and of course, these wild orgies. It threw it all into the mix. It was the first text to codify the heresy of witchcraft and uh, to gather information from from less known sources. Malleus drew inspiration from previously published books and pamphlets on witchcraft. One of uh, these books is called Formicarius, and it's by Jones Nider, and it was published a few decades prior, and um, Pope Innocent's Bull of uh, 1484 uh, was also a preface to Malleus. The bull, of course, declared witchcraft as a real threat to human lives. Henry Kramer and Jacob Springer were given authority to stamp out witchcraft throughout northern Germany. Tensions were already brewing in communities between folk beliefs and Christian beliefs of heresy. The book was a product of a time where church was changing its attitudes towards certain folk practices that they tolerated in the past. It was influenced by um, existing trends. Um, I mean, the book uh, was influenced by existing trends. It was not necessarily a trendsetter. 
So for a long time, uh, folk practices and superstitions, uh, which um, of course can be seen as magic rituals, were not necessarily accepted and by all means were not encouraged by the church. But as I said, they were tolerated and they were allowed to exist. Um, the attitudes were changing. The practices were starting to be seen as heretical and um, they were connected to the devil. These beliefs and anxieties were gathered up into a single package that would, of course, be known as Malleus Maleficarum, and it further heightened um, the atmosphere of paranoia. The book claimed that witchcraft was the worst heresy out of all the heresies you can commit, just because witch uh, or a sorcerer would devote their body and soul to evil, and they had a sexual relationship with the devils. Uh, through this, they renounced the Christian faith and uh, sacrificed <laughs> unbaptized infants uh, to Satan. We'll get back to that one later. It, was, um, also, cl it also claimed uh, to deny the existence of witchcraft uh, was a heretical act in itself. Because by denying witchcraft, you would deny that the devil exists, and that in turn denied the Bible, because the devil is present in the Bible. So Amalia's Maleficarum is organized into three parts. Um, the first part uh, consists of uh, theological arguments for the existence of witches. Um, the second part details um, the works of witchcraft, and gives uh, tips on how to protect um, oneself uh, from witchcraft. And this particular really sparked the paranoia. This was the part uh, that, you know, took your local witch uh, that perhaps could um, sour your milk and attributed her with a lot more power. The third part of the book is focused on the act of prosecution of the witch. So the Bible itself offered a slim pickings when it came to witches. Demonological texts, including Malleus, relied on a mixture of scripture, a previous a literature on the subject, and stories from trials to offer proof of the witch's existence and to explain how they functioned. So Kramer loved offering a proof of witchcraft by mentioning cases contemporary to him. Although um, the founding fathers of the church were the primary authority he quoted as um, the theological reasons um, for the existence of witchcraft, Kramer also folded in a classical pre-Christian works into Malleus as well. Uh, so he tended to pick out misogynist passages from Horace, Cicero, Seneca, amongst many other classical writers. And he would incorporate um, classic works of fiction as um, authentic, real-life proof of witchcraft, which is obviously highly problematic. And interestingly, um, in his assertion, it is not the witches that actually perform the magic, but it is the devil that is assigned to her aid that performs the magic through her. And the early uh, edition of Malleus doesn't mention things like the devil's mark, um, familiar spirits, or a Sabbath. 
This was uh, added later. Malleus Maleficarum underwent uh, 14 uh, new additions in a single year alone, but it did uh, firmly establish a certain attributes that are still part of the popular imagination today when it comes to witchcraft. So, for example, the text uh, firmly established that witches could fly, and in particularly, they uh, flew on the back of uh, on the backs of devils disguised as animals. Pitchforks um, were also a popular aviation tool. Brooms actually didn't appear yet. Uh, they came into the popular imagination later. And the assumption that they can fly is uh, based on a text from the New Testament where Matthew describes the temptation of a Christ and where the devil transported Jesus onto the top of a mountain. And this seemingly innocent tidbit that witches had the power of flight um, had a lot of actual repercussions. Well, firstly, witches were a lot more intimidating because they could cover long distances in a long time. Sorry, in a short time, I meant to say. So obviously you were never safe, uh, safe from a witch even if one didn't directly live in your community. It also acted as um, a persecution tool during the trials. And the fact that they could fly was used to discount spousal testimony um, that a witch was present at home uh, with their spouse. Such testimony was no longer valid uh, just because witches could easily sneak off to um, take part in the Sabbath when their, well, when their husband dozed off and they could be back before uh, he would be the wiser. Um, also, witches were attributed with control of the weather, particularly they caused harmful storms. Um, and of course, this uh, control of the weather was used purely for malicious deeds. It was uh, never used to, to deliver rain in a time of drought. This mocked the divine natural all order just because God was the one who should have the power over natural elements alone. Often people... Uh, living outside of social norms were scapegoated for failed crops. There was a big correlation between the spike um, of witch hunts and crop failure. Witches were also said to have the ability to injure and kill um, cattle. And the book um, gives a lot of thought uh, to failed butter production in witchcraft. I feel like uh, back in the day, uh, most likely I would have uh, also bought into this uh, wild witchcraft hysteria. And I feel like um, the butter production would be my main point of concern, just because butter makes everything better. <laughs> and of course, witches pledged their body and soul to Satan. And in turn, uh, they received uh, the devil's mark. The Devil's Mark was a mockery of uh, saintly stigmata, as well as the practice of uh, priests anointing their practitioners, uh, which was a sacred practice. And if you don't know what anointing is, it's when a priest uh, during holidays, I think during Easter, 
only I don't remember if they do it at Christmas it's been a while <laughs> but uh, they make an oily sign of the cross on uh, the parishioner's forehead I've definitely forgotten that I had the oily cross before and spent whole day out and about with like a shiny oily mark on my forehead back in the day uh, when I used to go to church so <laughs> and what the devil mark was uh is conveniently vague. It was not like a clear stamp uh, that had, uh, I don't know, property of Satan in it or perhaps um, his signature or something. It could be anything from a birthmark to a beauty mark. Really any little impurity on the skin could be misrepresented as such. I often actually give thought to this. I know this is a little bit bizarre, but I often think like, would I be seen as a witch? Because I have a very obvious birthmark on my right arm. So I often think if that uh, would arouse people's suspicions, it would definitely work against me if uh, I was pointed to as a witch. But I'm sure a lot of us uh, have at least a beauty mark. So, <laughs> I, I mean, you can imagine it is absolutely a ridiculous uh, way to identify a witch. The taboo topic of cannibalism was uh, brought into the book. Maleficarum asserts uh, that witches developed a taste uh, for newborns, which was uh, their favorite kind of meat. Um, question 11 of uh, part 1 of the book has a whole chapter. It's very wordy, but it is, I quote, Witches who are midwives in various ways kill the child that is conceived in a womb and procure an abortion of, or if they do not this, offer newborn children to devils. Okay, this is awkward wording, but that's how it is. It says often if they do not this. Anyways, extremely wordy uh, chapter title. This evidence of cannibalism is supported by air quote facts from a transcript from a trial in Bern where a witch confessed to the following, I quote, and with their spells we killed them in their cradles or even when they uh, are sleeping by their parents' side in such a way that they are afterwards thought to have been overlain or to have died in some other natural death. Then we secretly take them from their graves and cook them in the cauldron, unquote. So here we see another classic uh, witchcraft attribute, which is uh, the cauldron. It's briefly mentioned. Um, the text goes on to describe how different body parts uh, with, were used uh, for different um, aspects of witchcraft. Uh, certain things prepared out of a newborn's body, for example, helped, helped them fly. It's almost uh, laughable, uh, you know, this um, to us now, this accusation of cannibalizing, of eating newborns. But if you think about it, its text is extremely gruesome and it must have been horrifying um, to the audience that genuinely believed in the witch's existence. It's uh, graphic and it's shocking. And the most abhorrent part of Malleus, um, that it mentions the baby feast uh, never involved salt. <laughs> I feel like that's the most evil part. The devil apparently doesn't like salt. Like I was almost on board, on board before they mentioned it. 
Famously, the incubus and the succubus is another topic closely discussed in the book. According to the book, uh, the devils could not generate light themselves, but they could transform themselves into succubus, which is their female form. And they would copulate with the man and then store um, the man's semen um, to after transform in, into the incubus, which is uh, their male form. And uh, they would use the stored semen to impregnate, impregnate the woman. So as you can see, the devils uh, were gender neutral um, and they were extremely lustful. Malleus definitely reads as a paranoid sexual fantasy of a very like horny chauvinist. The illicit uh, sexuality is stated as the major source of corruption and the book loves to dwell on these uh, saucy details of um, sex and, um, and intercourse between uh, witches and devils. I mean, it is like a feverish, fetish fantasy of some sort. And of course, devil uh, fought with God over the human soul. And uh, he did so mostly by utilizing uh, the witch's sexuality. It is a very central theme in the book, this danger of sexuality um, that women possess. The book is obsessively, or the author of the book, I should say, is obsessively preoccupied with uh, sex. It's present throughout the text, uh, details, uh, various sex crimes committed by witches, and it not only features supernatural orgies, but it also talks about um, a bird's nest of stolen penises. And uh, in case uh, you think I misspoke, <laughs> No, that is correct. It features a bird's nest full of uh, human penises that are alive. So Malleus includes a story where uh, witches often steal penises and keep them alive <laughs> in bird ne bird's nest. I'm sorry, I have to take a break. <laughs> okay, I'm back. It's just, it's so laughable. I cannot take this seriously because I just imagine like this nest of like deflated dicks that uh, see a witch and then all of a sudden they start chirping like little baby birds, you know? <laughs> okay, witches would steal male penises, they would keep them alive in a bird's nest, and um, the book uh, features a story of uh, one of such crimes. Um, according to the story, the victim of the crime approaches the witch, and once uh, she, um, I guess, uh, attempted to give his... Uh, dick back. Um, he tries to use the situation um, to upgrade in size and tries to grab a, <laughs> a different penis and is told that the original owner is a town's priest. I mean, this is a bit bizarre. Well, not a bit bizarre. This is very bizarre. And it seemingly appears out of nowhere. Sometimes this is attributed to the author's hysterical fantasies. It might be a possible attempt at humor, the part where he's obviously trying to, to upgrade. Uh, because I think he would have realized that uh, sometimes you need humor to connect to your audience. This is connected to folkloric beliefs in magical castration, so it's not a totally random story. 
In my opinion, the witch should have just uh, let the dude take it because he would have more use of that dick than the town's priest. Oh, also, um, the goat became a very popular symbol of the devil. Um, according to Kramer, ancient sitters, pens, and fawns are proof uh, of devil worship in antiquity. Of course, the very typical belief that witches can cause illness is re- affirmed in the book. Advice is offered through a story of a young man who approached the suspected witch and threatened to kill her. And uh, after he was touched by her, his health was restored. Amalius expressed fears that women's hair had the power to seduce and that a witch's power was concentrated in her hair. Inquisitors started uh, recommending that a suspected uh, witch's hair be shaved. This is a very scarring act that they would uh, commit on the women. It doesn't get better from here. More tips follow. Um, Like judges should not allow themselves to be touched by a witch. They should watch if the tears coming out of accused eyes are fake because apparently witches um, don't have the ability to cry, but they can be conjured by a devil. So really, uh, there is uh, no way to tell them apart and it's kind of uh, useless when it comes to uh, trying to defend oneself. Um, Of course, it advocates the denial of um, accused to the right of a fair counsel. It uh, does not outwardly recommend um, that uh, the accused doesn't receive a lawyer, uh, but it clearly intimidates um, anyone who would genuinely want to defend the accused from doing so. Just because it recommends that the judge makes it very clear that the counsel can be charged for defending heresy and excommunicated in the process. Uh, Part three of the book um, in question um, 10 says, and I quote, nevertheless, if he, and by he, um, they mean a lawyer, unduly defends a person already suspect of heresy, he makes himself as it were a patron of that heresy and lays himself under not only a light but a strong suspicion in accordance with the manner of his defense and ought publicly to abjure that heresy before the bishop, unquote. So obviously in this time of paranoia and accusations, it was much easier to just uh, point the guilty finger than attempt to risk your own life and reputation and perhaps life and reputation of your family members by attempting some kind of defense. Um, The accused had to go through uh, the humiliating practice of being stripped naked and examined. Of course, uh, this would be highly traumatic today, but uh, imagine the kind of impact it would have had on a woman in a society that constantly stressed modesty. And sexual harassment was not just of um, physical nature. Uh, Women would be prodded for stories of sexual encounters with with the devil, which uh, Malleus said it definitely happened. Again, it's highly traumatic experience. And uh, food deprivation was also recommended. The accused uh, was to be given a diet of uh, bread and water, which was obviously insufficient. Of course, torture was a part of a legitimate technique of for obtaining a confession, 
Um, of course, now we know that uh, torture is a completely useless uh, way to obtain a confession. Of course, on top of being highly unethical, it really does not produce a legitimate result. A person under extreme pressure will um, say anything to get out of the situation. This obviously happened considering um, the uh, confessions that they received and they were of a highly fantastical nature. Obviously, uh, there is no possible way. The things that were confessed actually occurred in real life. When it comes to torture, um, a gradual increase is recommended. So first they recommend to apply psychological pressure to confess by uh, threatening the accused with torture. And then um, it is recommended to gradually increase the torture and base um, the initial torture according to the charge laid against the accused. So something like, um, I'm assuming, souring cow's milk would not uh, have the same gravity as murdering and spit-roasting children. So it is recommended that the torture be personalized based on the gravity of the crime. And if the confession was not obtained uh, through torture, the more psychological pressure should be applied. The accused would be constantly wore down from um, either threats or pleas of people they know to confess, uh, which is uh, combined with uh, sleep deprivation, with starvation. It was very easy uh, to make people crack at this point. And um, if the confession is still not obtained, of course, uh, naturally, that should not be seen as a sign of innocence, uh, but that just warrants a different approach. Uh, so it is recommended that uh, family and friends are questioned about anything unusual that they would see the accused do that can be seen as proof of witchcraft and again imagine in that spirit of uh, paranoia people would gladly point the finger at someone else as long um, as they are let off the hook and uh, you know after this whole ordeal if uh, you managed uh, to avoid the accusation of witchcraft malleus uh, in uh, part 3 chapter 20 recommends i quote let care be taken not to put anywhere in the sentence that the accused is innocent or immune, but that it was not legally proved against him, unquote. So after this whole horrifying ordeal, even if you were not charged, you were still not off the hook, you were not proclaimed um, as innocent. And of course, the community's uh, suspicion would be directed at you still because of the accusation that was made against you. And on that sad note, I am going to end <laughs> my brief history of Amalius Maleficarum. The book itself is still well known to this day. And if you're interested in the history of the witch trials, it can be a good read, but a very frustrating read. Uh, you can find the text uh, online. It's not very hard if you Google it. So for anyone who's curious um, and who wants to feel enraged, uh, by all means, go ahead and read it. Uh, <laughs> I hope everyone's doing well. Um, I am in a bit of a weird mind space. 
I think um, partially because I started the new job. Uh, so I was just trying to develop a new routine. My sleep has been a little bit off. And uh, the usual uh, stuff that I enjoy uh, doing through the days, um, I wasn't really able to do just because I haven't settled in yet. I mean, it's going better this week. Of course, it will take a little bit of time. Um, so far, I've enjoyed my work. There was a co-worker that messaged and apparently he's really into true crime podcast, which is nice because I have a very morbid fascination with the darker side of human nature, fraud, cults, um, of course, murder, and partially because I'm not capable of committing these acts. And the fact that other people are um, is fascinating and partially because, as I said, people uh, love uh, salaciousness, uh, they love uh, juicy stories, and um, I think people were always uh, fascinated with things um, that are morbid and um, that are shocking. I mean, just look at the fact that Malleus is uh, still um, a part of our popular imagination, I but as I was saying, I was in a bit of a funk. I think um, also the fact that it's getting colder and I haven't been able uh, to walk around as much has something to do with it. Uh, so hopefully by uh, the time it's winter, I develop uh, some kind of coping strategies and not go stir crazy inside the home. I would definitely have to take up some of my old uh, hobbies. Uh, I also just finished uh, watching Shit's Creek. Right now there is a Moira shaped hole in my heart. If you have any... Um, Recommendations for good TV, let me know because I'm about to have a lot more time um, to watch TV in the upcoming winter months. Um, again, I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you have people to reach out to and uh, people to offer you support when you're in weird headspace. Until next time, bye!